Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. How's it going out there? Are you holding up? Everything okay? Hope you're doing all right. I worry. I worry about you. I worry about us. I worry about me. I'm a worrier. It's just the way I'm wired. I wish I wasn't, but uh, sometimes it's warranted, isn't it? I just got back from Denver. I did four shows at the Comedy Works. I'm recording this on uh, Sunday afternoon. I fly out early in the morning so I could come do this. It never stops. I do not have much free time. The Comedy Works is a great venue. It's one of the great comedy clubs. It seats about, I don't know, maybe 250 or something. And it's in a basement. It's got low ceilings. It's it's very snug. It's slightly tiered. The audience is right on top of you. Some of them are, are, are literally on stage. They're sitting on stage. And I'm working on new shit. And as you know, I've been... I've been out there hammering it out at the anvil of the club. I'm in it. I'm 100% in it. It is my job. It was always my job. That's the amazing thing about, about doing comedy for as long as I've been doing it, is that you work hard at something, and then you realize, this is my job. This is what I do, and I'm good at it. And uh, I, I keep pushing it. I keep taking risks at my job. I've built a craft over a long period of time. I'm very proud of it. I, I just had this conversation. I, I'm sorry. Did I mention who's on the show today? Joan Jett is on the show today. Joan Jett with a, with a special appearance uh, by her manager, uh, Danny Laguna. Who, uh, who they are inseparable, apparently, and, and uh, he wanted to be around, so I put him on the mic. He's a very interesting cat in his own right, and they seem to have a symbiotic thing going. Been together for years, so it's, uh, it's Joan Jett with, let's do it that way, Joan Jett with Danny Laguna today on the show. Joan Jett, uh, I believe, just turned 60 the other day. I recorded this before she turned 60, so I, if, if, if you're on top of that and you realize, why didn't I wish her a happy birthday? It was because I didn't know then. But uh, but she just turned 60. I'm turning 55 on Thursday. And uh, it's not so much that I'm, I'm feeling my age, but I do start to think about, uh, you know, what I do and, and who I am in the world and, and, you know, what we all do. It's just a weird thing when you get, I guess I'm middle-aged. But getting back to the idea of doing the job, especially as a creative person, as somebody who has 
sort of hammered out their own way through a creative endeavor, through uh, an expression uh, endeavor, through a through like something that is not a normal uh, way of life. I flew back on the plane from Denver with Whitney Cummings, who was working at the other club. And, uh, you know, we just got into this conversation and it, and I just started to realize, like, there's a lot of people out there that call themselves comics because they've done 10 minutes here or a couple of sets there. Or they worked on a, an open mic somewhere or they, they did a room. And the, the, the thing about being a comic, about truly being a comic, not unlike any job, is that you got to do the job and the job to a certain degree, you know, is like getting laughs. Fine. You know that you should do that when you're a comic but the the bigger job is can you show up and do an hour hour and a half and do it consistently and and stay up there and and over the years generate new material can you apply your craft can you evolve your craft can you show up anywhere and do an hour and get paid for it and do it consistently i mean that is the job and and i've been doing the job you know for most of my life at this point being a paid comic and showing up, whether it's strangers, whether they're familiar, whether it's a, an event that seems awkward for comedy or a venue that seems awkward for comedy. I've been doing it for a long time. And over time, you, you know, it's not it's it's not something to be taken for granted. And I think this is something that you know, that everyone goes through who's been working at what they do for a long time to sort of take a minute and, and acknowledge that you know what you're doing and that you're good at it and that you're engaged with it and that you like it and that you're proud of it. And I, I don't know that I do that enough and I don't know why I'm, I'm doing it publicly because I have my own insecurities. I have my own you know weird approach to... You, you know, uh, uh, humility, I guess. Uh, I, I just, uh, I don't always give myself any credit. I, I, wo- I work hard. <laughs> and, and I don't know, I don't know why I'm telling you that. I, I talk to you twice a week. I talk to people in this garage, you know, as often as possible. And then I do the acting thing, you know, which I'm fine to admit that I'm, I'm relatively new to. But there was just something about this moment where, you know, it's just me and Whitney on a plane talking about our shows, talking about what's going on and realizing that we go out there and we do this job. And I think it becomes you know, very apparent when you when you do four shows at a club, you know, I'm working out new stuff. I'm hammering out new stuff because I want my hour to be tight. I don't have uh, my hour plus, really. I don't have a special on the books, but I'm going to be at the Beacon Theater in New York on November 10th. You can go to WTFpod.com slash tour to get tickets for that. And it's just, it's one of those things. I guess I'm just telling you, I'm acknowledging that, you know, when you do something for most of your life and you you see that you evolve with it, that you get better at it, that you have more control over it, you know, you can take different risks, you can challenge yourself within what you do and uh, you have the freedom to do that. It's a it's a it's a mind blowing thing. It's a great thing, and and I see it in my peers. Like I just I just finished reading my friend Sam Lipsight's new book. It's going to be out in January, and he sent me a galley copy. And you know, and Sam's had several novels out, several collections of short stories. But man, I read this fucking book, and it was. And granted, we're we're very good friends, but 
it's a perfect evolution of his creativity and expression. It's gotten better. It's gotten deeper. It's gotten more wise. It's his wordsmithing is is phenomenal. It's fucking hilarious. And it ends. It just lands. He lands this novel like a like it just like it, it, it was like landing a spaceship for the first time. Just 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 nails it. And he's been doing it for 20 years. And you, you just to see somebody you, you know, get better and, and get amazing uh, through what they do, through commitment and through hard work is, is a beautiful thing. The book is called Hark. And if you don't know Sam Lipside stuff, he's one of the funniest fucking writers uh, alive, really. And he's he's a real deal kind of like, you know, takes real chances on the page and is deeply funny. And uh, I can't I'm going to have him in here. I, I have not had my friend Sam Lipside on for a full episode he was on near the beginning of the show and i think we might have done one other one i can't even remember but uh for this book we're going to do a full one but you can pre-order hark and and i would do it even though you're going to wait a few months but look i don't sell you garbage people anyways proud of my friend proud of myself proud of anybody who sticks with something long enough to become great at it even if you don't get the attention that you think you deserve even if you're not a superstar, even if, you know, you're not, you know, recognized as much as you want. If you know in your heart you're doing it the best you can and uh, and you're taking chances and you're evolving and doing new things and finding freedom within your expression or within your occupation or or you're finding movement or success and helping people, whatever it is. For fuck's sake, don't take anything away from yourself just because you don't think enough people notice what you do. And if you're getting paid for it and you're doing a good job with it, uh, you're fucking living the life. You're, you, you know, you should fucking you know, be proud of yourself. And if you're not doing it and you're holding yourself back from doing it, just do it really. What do you have to lose ultimately after a certain point? Do you know what I'm saying? Huh? Do you? Also, speaking about lifers, about comedians, I talked to a... Rita Rudner in here uh, last week. She's a great comic. She's been around a long time, always generating new material. I haven't seen her in a while, but she's got this new special out. You'll hear my interview with her in a few weeks, but you know we have a schedule. Uh, but I wanted to mention that her new comedy special, Rita Rudner, A Tale of Two Dresses, is now available from Comedy Dynamics on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, and most on-demand platforms. So check that out. And you'll hear me and Rita in a few weeks. Great comic. And we had a great conversation, but I just wanted to give you a heads up for that. I did want to, to try to, to read this letter because, you know, I don't know. You know my parents are, are getting older, but they're both still with us. And throughout the years, you've heard me, you know, resolve things or have problems with or, or you know, you know, not quite be able to get over resentments with my folks, with my dad, some with my mom, whatever. But they're still around. And as I get older, I'm very grateful they're still around. You know, it's nice to have them and to be able to talk to them. I think I can appreciate them more than I have uh, previous in the past. That's another thing that's evolving. If you let it, if you have the the, the heart to do it. But I got this, uh, I got this email and... Um, these kind of emails kind of get me. You know, they kind of, they move me. Uh, the, it, the subject line is, a letter from a fan involving a cross-country trip with his son and your show. How am I not going to pop that one open? I'm, I'm already half crying. Hi, Mark. 
So I just got back home to Washington, D.C. after a month-long cross-country trip with my 19-year-old son, Connor. I helped move him to Los Angeles so he can pursue his many dreams. He's our only, so this one was special on many levels. But one of the coolest things for me was turning him on to your WTF shows as we burned rubber across this great, if highly imperfect, land of ours. We ate amazingly diverse, great food, observed how cool the vast majority of our fellow citizens are and listen to your guests like we were sitting in your garage. You know how it is on long drives. You exhaust conversation quickly as mile after mile of the same-looking shit blurs by. It becomes hypnotically boring, mentally deadening, no matter how great your Spotify playlist may be. But that's where your shows save the day. Our mutual enjoyment of your opening monologues and your thoroughly unique interview style had us sitting forward in our seats. We'd gobble up shows and then talk about them for a couple hours. It was fan-fucking-tastic, my friend. It was like you were in the car with us, in the back seat, chatting with a guest. It bonded my son and me in a way that I can't express in words. And for that, I'll forever be grateful to you. Later, I heard him talk about you and your shows with his friends, and I thought to myself, well, there's at least one useful takeaway he got from his flawed old man, and I'm totally good with that and proud of it. So thank you, Mark. Thank you for helping a father and son talk about real things like comedy, integrity, honesty, art, books, music, politics, and love. Thank you for giving us hope in a seemingly hopeless time and culture. Our time with you meant something. It counted, and we'll never forget it. Your fan and pal for life, John. Wow, John. I, you know, for most of my life, I was, you know, fairly kind of cornered and pigeonholed by myself and others as a somewhat selfish fuck, uh, you know, and somewhat... uh, self-obsessed person or or cynical or whatever but uh again and this goes along with what i was talking about earlier as time goes on and things get weirder and things get darker as i get older and as as the country struggles on i i have to take some comfort in that you know knowing that one of the effects of this show which i could never have assumed would be something like that that letter and it happens all the time, and I and I'm and I'm happy that I, I've been there for people, even though I I don't I don't, you know I'm just doing what I do, but I I I'm very grateful that it's had the effect it has. I, I'm sorry if I'm a little mushy, but maybe it's just my age, maybe it's just a, it just <laughs> happens sometimes, and maybe I I dumped all my funny over the weekend. Um, Joan Jett. An archetype, an original. She's she's fucking Joan Jett. There's a new documentary about her life and career coming out. It's called Bad Reputation. It comes out this Friday, September 28th. And uh, as I said before, Joan's longtime producer and collaborator, Kenny Laguna, was with her for this interview. So you're going to hear from him too. And there was a lot going on in here that day, a lot of stuff. The two of them, there was a, there's, there, there's a little whirlwind. And I hope you can feel that as you listen to me talk to Joan Jett uh, featuring uh, Kenny Lagoon. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or 
you're needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I, I got a sense of you guys from the movie. Like, uh, it feels like uh, an ongoing uh, comedy routine. It's terrific. Yeah. yeah. But this Everybody is what happens, says, right? like an old married couple. <laughs> yeah. But you're not married. Yeah, that's true. No, we're not married. It's like an old married couple. His, his wife is, is uh, your daughter run the company. Right. Blackheart Records still? Yes. Yeah. And you started that company. And yes. your wife's still around? Yes. And she started the company with us. And, All right. And she... Um, she and I met in high school. Yeah. So, wow. Long time. Yeah, it's for, especially for this business. Yeah. You, you just had your anniversary, too. What How was long? It? 48. That's 48 crazy. years? It, Who makes that, it 48 years? It was a teenage years? wedding. Yeah. I want, how much noise is Kenny going to make with bags and stuff? I know. Oh, no. Are we recording now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I was looking for I know. I was, waiting for, I was waiting what for you, it to stop, too. What, but, do you, what do you got? What do you need? My pre-roll. Well, why don't you get up and walk away? What's a pre-roll? Is that a, is that drug talk? <laughs> it's we're not druggies, by the way. Oh, the, the only thing we do is cannabis. I yeah, mean, that's what know, I mean. Yeah, but yeah, is that what a pre-roll is? Yeah, pre-roll. Oh, never mind. Like already rolled. Yeah, yeah. So wait, how long have you lived in New York since '79? Yes, I moved there in 1979. Now, when you come back here, does it trigger memories and shit? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's bittersweet. Yeah. I mean, I love LA. And I hate L.A. Yeah, you know, right, on yeah. two levels. Yeah. It's not that I hate it. It's just that, um, you know, uh, when the runaways broke up, right. it was devastating to right. me. And yeah. it really, uh, I could feel, or at least it felt to me, that, like the people were laughing and saying, we told you. Yeah, you that, couldn't do this. It right. wouldn't work. But when you came out here, you didn't like. I uh, for some reason when I watched the documentary, I was like, "Did she run away from home?" But you were you were around here, right? You you yeah. you come from Pennsylvania. Yeah, were you lucky to get out of there? I think. No, I like Pennsylvania. You do? It's nice. I, I yeah. Was it rural? There. Was it the rural part or near Philly? Where was it? It where? was all suburbs. You know, I was yeah. born, born in Philly, but yeah. got out of there when I was six months old. Yeah. My, I moved. To, my parents moved to Pittsburgh. Yeah. My, then I had a brother yeah. and sister were born there. Yeah. Lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. Wow. I was about all eight. Over. Yeah. Then I moved to Rockville, Maryland. Yeah. Funny enough, Rockville. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's where I sort of fell in love with rock and roll. So it's would you say you have a like a Pennsylvania accent, like a Philly, like because you do have a it, twang to there's something to it. it. It's it's East Coast. It's yeah. more like a yeah, it would be Philly, right? Maryland, yeah. Maryland kind of is like Philly yeah. and the South at yeah. the same time. And Jersey too. Jersey, Philly, and New York. They're, they're definitely defined dispos- accents. Yes, it's a tough accent. Yes, you lucked out. It's a good accent to have. So when you were, okay, so you're in Pittsburgh, and you have two older, you're the oldest or what? I'm the oldest, yeah. Yeah. Well, are they either your sibs in uh, 
in music business? No, no. no. They're both just people regular jobs. Yeah. yeah. So okay, when you say like, uh, where where did you start getting hip to like the music? When did it start turning you like you know towards it? I lived in in Rockville, Maryland, mm-hmm. a little suburb of uh, Washington D.C., yeah. and it was just sort of I guess. You know, you, you as you age, as you come out of being a little kid, yeah, into listening to, going from like Donny Osmond to the Osmonds, yeah, something like or that was on the radio. Was that would, when we were kids? Was it the Osmond Brothers? The Osmond Brothers, yeah, and that yeah, kind of right, yeah. Well, you know, for a teenage sure, girl, sure. Partridge time. Family, <laughs> that, that, a little younger. Uh, <laughs> that um, no, but I didn't really. Yeah, I mean, I liked the songs; they were sure. okay. Yeah, yeah. But uh, then something shifted around 11, something like that, yeah, my yeah. ear. Yeah. Hearing things like uh, All Right Now by yeah, Free. Yeah. There was something in the rhythm guitar yeah, sound yeah. Yeah. that I wanted to make those sounds. Yeah. What was that? that guy was a good guitar player. He died. Was it Kossoff? Was that his name? The guitar player oh, from Paul Free? Kossoff, Kossoff, Paul Kossoff. Yeah. I could be wrong. No, that's right. Okay. He had a good sound, that guy. But it was just you know a little bit a little bit out of tune. Yeah, a few yeah. songs like that, uh, uh, T Rex, Bang a Gong. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, so I just wanted to make those sounds. And, and you were like eleven, twelve. Probably when it start, you know, when yeah. it started. Yeah, and, yeah. And by thirteen, I worked up the courage to ask my parents for an electric guitar for, they for Christmas. You? They gave me an electric guitar, like a good one, a Sears Silvertone. Oh yeah. Oh, so that's right. Kind of came with an came amp with the amp. You plug it right in. Those and are worth a lot of money now, the silver tones. Did you I keep hear. It? No, I have no idea where it is. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sure. I, I just don't know. How long did it take before you learned how to you know, play rock? Uh, did you have to start like, <clears throat> with folk stuff and get bored? and doing... Yeah, actually, I went and I took a guitar lesson. Yeah. And I, being, you know, when you're young, you're exuberant and you think you sure. can do everything right now. Yeah. So, of course, I go in there and I say, teach me how to play rock and roll. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. without, without the basics. So, he's like, first of all, he says, girls don't play rock and roll. And so, that kind of... He said that... kind of hit me yeah. w- strangely yeah, because yeah. I'm like, I'm in, in school with girls playing Beethoven and Bach on their violins. Right. So, what are you saying? Yeah. You know? Right. So, I, I went through the lesson... Uh, he was trying to teach me on top of old Smokey. Yeah. But, you know, r- obviously you have to learn the basics first. And It's always those you know, weird, dumb songs. Too. Well, if he just said, yeah. look, you can play rock and roll, you just have to learn the basics yeah, first. Yeah, right. Then I would have been like, oh, okay, teach yeah. me the basics. Right. But saying, no, you can't do that. Yeah. I, I just went to that one lesson and quit and bought a... Learn how to play chords yourself. You need those three chords. Yeah, and I listened to those singles that I went out and bought, like All Right Now. Yeah. And I just played along with it. Did you have the chord charts, like the book of chords, where to put your fingers and that kind of stuff? No, I can't really... uh, Just the... just Yeah, basically just the basic chords, but I I don't read music, so... Right, yeah, yeah, you know, the ones... just No, not the music, but just the chord structure. Yes, just just the how to play an E, how to play And then bar chords. Yeah, so that's really how I learned to play. Yeah. And, And I didn't push myself at that age because I didn't... Beyond just kind of playing, I didn't see anything coming of it. Yeah. Then, then my family moved to California. Which part? Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my, I had an aunt 
out here and my mother wanted to get out and be by her sister so my father worked at transfer he worked for insurance company but once i moved to california then i'm thinking you know i could actually form a band i can't be the only girl in la that wants to play rock and roll so if I'm doing this, there's got to be other girls out there. But first, so I knew it was possible. It's weird that there were really no models for it. Like, you know, when I watched a doc, you know, and, and, and it came up and I look at the years, there really was no, you know, hard rock girl groups at, at, at all. Not really, no. Yeah, I mean, there was there were girl groups, right? But they were singing groups or, or pop groups, but there was no, like, rock groups. I never really thought of it until I, I saw the documentary that you guys were really one of the first ones, the Runaways, right? Yeah. So how did okay? So how did you go about pulling this band together? Well, I used to go to a club yeah. uh, that I actually read about in all my rock magazines and Cream and Circus. Uh-huh. I read about this club okay. when I still lived back east. Yeah. Called Rodney Bingenheimer's English Disco. Yeah, I see him at Cantor sometimes. Yeah. Rodney, do you in that? booth by himself with uh-huh. the, the nice. hair <laughs> yeah what, well what? i mean t- i'll tell you he had he was very important person in in rock and roll so tell me about that place because like i i that was the first time i really knew about it from watching the the documentary yeah, oh, it was great it was a a, a disco for yeah. teenagers a, no there was no booze and uh rodney played all the english hits that the american kids didn't get a chance to hear yeah, like a, you know Bowie, yeah. all, all the stuff that were, were hits in England. Yeah. Sweet, yeah. Slade, Susie Quattro, full glam. This, yeah, the full yeah. Gary Glitter. This yeah. whole vibe that just was non-existent in the states. He was on the radio. He was like the first guy to bring Bowie to the states, too, wasn't he? I think, or wasn't he one of them? Yeah, he was. Yeah, oh, Kenny's nodding. You can say yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah not, I, I know that he went to the the club. There's yeah, pictures yeah. of uh, uh, Bowie there. Bowie there at uh, you know like in seventy two, seventy three. Those were like the heydays. Right. I got there right at the end. They closed maybe eight months after I started going. Why did they close? They get in trouble? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they got in trouble. It's, I think it was just maybe business. You know, yeah, it's because it was an underage disco, right? Yeah, it was primarily for for young people. Yeah, I can't imagine that that wasn't a problem in the seventies. Like I, I well, can only imagine they, they couldn't make money. They couldn't make money. There, but, was, there was probably illicit drugs being sold, like every club. Yeah, but they they couldn't make money without the liquor. But it wasn't full of like predators and weirdos. Oh, I yeah. didn't, you know, <laughs> I didn't see it. Yeah, like yeah. I, it yeah. wasn't. My brain wasn't there. So well, it didn't I had come no at idea. you. So you would you would know right. if that come, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, you can only assume. Sure. It, yeah. Yeah. It had to be around. <laughs> so that's where you started to get into like meeting people, meeting people, and and just uh, being around like minded people. Right. That and then I thought, well, wow, man, there's got to be girls that, around someplace yes. in this scene that that play instruments. Yeah. So I just tried to put the word out i knew a girl uh named carrie chrome that yeah. wrote lyrics she was a lyricist where'd you meet her there at the club yeah, yeah. At, at rodney's and i thought she played an instrument so yeah. i said do you want to form an all-girl band and she said I, I don't play i just write lyrics but maybe you should talk to my publisher and that yeah. was kim fowley yeah so i did i got the nerve to call kim up and said yeah. you know i play guitar and i'd like to form i want to form an all-girl band and he said, well, uh, can you send me a demo tape? And I'm like, I didn't even know what a demo was. Sure. I mean, I'm talking serious naive, yeah. you know? Right. Well, how old are you, 15? 
Yeah, probably 15 at the yeah, time. How 15, you know? 16, yeah. And you didn't know anything about him either? I didn't know anything about him, yeah. you know, very peripherally, yeah. just from from the club, maybe right. seeing him standing around and stuff. But He was I, sort I of an know. ominous guy, wasn't he? To other people, yeah. He yeah. was ominous. He was very tall, yeah. uh, double-jointed, and he used that kind of stuff. He would dance, and oh, so he, he, was, he just was very, could be very intimidating to a lot of people. And well, he, I guess that's what he did. He intimidated a lot of people. Well, he had this weird solo career, right, for years, right? Yes. Like, I don't know a lot about him other than he's sort of this uh, bizarre Hollywood character, you know, and outside of producing the, the right ways, that he had this... Almost demonic presence here and right, there. But he he made some hits, right? He, and he comes he, from the same area you did, right? The pop hits in a way, like he did. Yeah, some but he of was the, an L.A. version, right? But he he produced a group called the Mermaids, yeah, and Popsicles and Icicles, which right? Big, I think I was a number one, and he was also in the band band singing group, yeah. That did Alley Oop, the oh, they, Hollywood Argyles, the original Alley Oop. And then yeah, I think and that, the Beach Boys covered it at some point too. What a great song! <laughs> I know you got in the doc. You got Iggy singing it. All right, yeah. so you meet up with Kim, and you yeah. and he's and asking for a demo. So he asked me for a demo. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't have a demo. And you know, we have a short conversation, and and that's it. Yeah. And, and I'm like, wow, I fucking blew that. <laughs> you're 15. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and but but yeah. so he knew yeah. my name. So yeah. anyway, a couple nights later. Sandy West, who was the drummer of the right. Runaways, yeah. she lived down in Orange County in Huntington Beach, yeah. and uh, she played in a lot of bands with guys, like high school bands and doing yeah. local stuff, and she was 15, and right. she played drums like John Bonham. She was so intense. I mean, yeah. rest her soul. I mean, uh, she's not with us anymore. But, oh, sorry. But... Uh, uh, anyway, she yeah. drove up to Hollywood and yeah. hung out in the Rainbow parking lot. And that's, I guess, at the time, a lot of people would, after the rainbow closed, people yeah. would hang out and a lot of stars would go there. And it's crazy. It was I crazy guess there. people would go yeah. and look for the stars. Yeah. So Sandy went up there and I guess she knew who Kim was. Yeah. She walked up to him and said, Kim, I, I'm Sandy and I play drums. Yeah. And he said, that's really interesting. I met a girl the other night who plays guitar. Um, and I think he gave her my phone number. And uh, Yeah. So like she, yeah, she who, called me up and and that's how it started. Yeah, who were the bands are like at the time, like at the Rainbow and at those places? I mean, what, we're talking. What are we talking? Nineteen seventy three, seventy five. Yeah. So like who like who was on the scene? Who were you watching? Who were you able to, you know? Kind. Of, I mean, I guess you're a teenager, so it's hard to get in clubs. But who were the bands at that time that were really hot? Do you remember? I don't know that it was, I wasn't seeing bands live. Right, right. We were more or less just hanging out at, the, at that club. But right. I know. Led Zeppelin was sure. really big, you yeah, know, and yeah. they were still vital. You know, the band, yeah, yeah. Um, did you like Zeppelin? I did, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So okay, so you meet Sandy. Now there's two of you. Yeah. And you still need to fill out the crew. Yeah. So I took a bus to Sandy's house, four yeah. buses actually, with my guitar, and we went <laughs> yeah. to her rec room, and we got along great. You know, it was like just we hit it off really well, and uh, we just started jamming on, you know, simple like wild thing kind of sure. songs and yeah. stuff like that so after 15 minutes or so we call up you know, let's call Kim we call up Kim yeah. put the phone down say listen to this <laughs> and we start playing whatever <clears throat> right and, right. and he said sounds great let's yeah. let's go find some other people so 
That's that, what we started is, to do. Is Sand, that, yeah. Sandy found a lead us somewhere, I guess, through friends yeah. that she knew. Um, and uh, It's amazing to me, though, that, that like he knew, he could hear the drums and the guitar, and he's like, I can work with this. Like he like well, right? it was definitely unique, yeah. and, and we could play. So yeah. it was wow, you know, this is something that could work. How great was that feeling to just be in that rec room? I mean, just to, for that first time. Oh, it was great. It must it have been really, you know, like those are those memories, right? Totally, and it was, you know, your teenage dream happening. Yeah. yeah. So you got these other, you got the other girls. Yeah. And and then what happens? You go. Do you, do you, do you make a demo or do you make the record? How does we, it work? We recorded really quickly. We uh yeah we went in the studio right away as soon as we had uh, we actually made a recording as a three piece as well. Um, but oh, with uh, it was you and Sandy and and uh, Mickey Steele oh, okay. was the first bass player. Who yeah. Then went on to uh, form the Bangles. Oh okay. So. Uh, she was the original bass player, but uh, it just didn't work out. I don't know if she, you know, wasn't grooving or what, whatever. Yeah. We came to part ways. Yeah. Didn't get um, too ugly, though? No. Not, no, no. No. Not at all. And um, so, yeah, then we went out looking for another lead singer. Yeah. Kim and I were hanging out in a disco. Yeah. Saw Cherie Curry and yeah. her twin sister uh-huh. dancing. Yeah. Said, they look like... <laughs> Good They'd singer. be great <laughs> if they up sing. on stage if they right. could sing. And so we, yeah, we asked Sheree if she sang, and she said she did. We said, "Come and audition." Back and in the rec room, or did you go to the studio? No, no, we went to a, a rehearsal studio. Yeah. And uh, she showed up with with sort of a I don't even I can't remember what the song was, but uh-huh. it was something. It was easy listening. Yeah, oh really? Thing. And yeah. we were not into that, you know. And so we didn't know what to do. And so Kim says, "We're going to write a song." So Kim and I went out to another part of the another another room, yeah. another uh, rehearsal room, yeah. and uh, just started jamming. I started playing some chords, yeah. and uh, actually we came up with a chorus first, and so it came, went from uh, the writing "Hello Daddy, Hello Mama, I'm Your Cherry Bomb," yeah, and then we came up with the with the rest of it. We probably didn't come up with the finished lyrics right at that point, but right. had enough for her to sing. So after 20 minutes, we went back in there and said, sing this. Yeah. And uh, and she did. And she she owned it. You know, she yeah. took a hold of it and made it her own. And, yeah. and that was that. And, and, that, and the, the, the Runaways are born. Yeah, basically. And then you recorded like shortly after that? Yeah, because we, we had already had several songs we had written since... Those couple months we had been together, right. we were writing and working and yeah, writing yeah. and touring, you know, and go- not touring, but, but playing all around the city. You South did play Bay. out? Oh, yeah, yeah. We played before everywhere but Hollywood, yeah. Before the first record came out? Yeah. And how how were you received in general, you know, when you're, to- you're playing these little clubs, right, or bars and stuff? Yeah. Um, hard to say initially. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, it, it was good. Yeah. It, it was... Uh, it was okay. Yeah. We were playing things like house parties. Yeah. You know, right. things like that. Who was and, booking you? Kim was just getting you these gigs? Yeah, we'd... Yeah, we'd, uh, yeah Kim and I, I'm sure there were some other people yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah, right. Because, you know, he didn't... He wasn't a businessman on that level. He right. He didn't really book the tours and stuff. But you didn't feel the pushback yet? Because I know, like you said early on, even your guitar teacher at first was like wary of a, of a woman playing rock music. And you know, like in the documentary, you go into a bit about that. But you didn't feel that immediately that people were like, what the fuck are these chicks doing with guitars? No, I think I was too overwhelmed with 
being excited with what sure, we were doing. Having fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it wasn't until part. we started doing press mm-hmm. and things like for that the where they started. Yeah, I'll even know if it was specifically for the record, but I'm sure, sure right. it was. And, uh, you know, we started getting asked all kinds of weird questions that so, I couldn't even tell you. So when the record came out, the first record, that's like 19, what? 76. You like 18 years old? No, I was 17. 17. Mm-hmm. And it's a big deal, right? I mean, like, how, how was the first album received when it came out? What, what was the push behind it? How, did it? how did it go? It was, well, we had a bit, uh, we were on Mercury Records. Yeah. I believe it. Big it, label, even, right? Yeah. And I think they uh, actually worked on yeah. promoting it. It had a, a good angle, right? And uh, we were on the charts, yeah. I believe. For on, Cherry Bomb. Yeah, yeah. For that first album, yeah, you may yeah. have charted. Yeah, and Cherry Bomb definitely charted. Yeah, we charted. Yeah. yeah, and and so now you're like, you know, what happens next? Do you start? I didn't realize until I looked it up after I watched uh, the movie that this is that like you're coming out at the same time, really, as the Ramones, as the Sex Pistols. That all happened simultaneously because yeah. I know you had relationships with these bands right. later on. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. No, there. I had right there. I had relationships with them right then. Oh, yeah. you did. Yeah. So you were on their radar, even though it was a different coast. So everyone knew about everybody. Pretty much. And yeah. being on the road, we'd run into each other. Oh I mean, yeah. The Runaways eventually wound up. We did a three month tour with the Ramones, which was amazing. But Led Zeppelin knew who they were too. What's that? Led Zeppelin knew who the oh, Runaways yeah? were and came to one of their gigs. Oh yeah, and wearing Runaways pictures, t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's pictures of Joan with Robert Plant when she was 16 or some, something along yeah, that. Yeah, uh, Is that true? Do you yeah. got to meet him and hang out? Oh were yeah, they? yeah, definitely. And they were they were decent guys, right? They were very nice. Yeah, and, and then friends in the 80s. Yeah, we went on tour with Robert when we had uh, whatever hits there were for us at that moment, and he had. I'm in a mood for a melody. Oh, yeah, now yeah, and yeah. Zen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> so, yeah, we were touring Like that with first it. solo record or second solo record yeah, after yeah. Zeppelin? Yeah. So at that time, like like music is blowing up, right? There's a whole New York scene, and you're part of the uh, the L.A. scene uh, now into like 76. So who are the other bands around that were kind of breaking through then? In L.A.? Yeah. Oh, man. Because um, you must have seen them when you were playing out and around. Because after the first record, you were able to play in town, right? Van Halen opened for the Runaways. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. They were a band that was on, you know, <laughs> struggling to get noticed. Yeah. Tom, Tom Petty, Petty opened for the Runaways. He opened uh, for you? The Heartbreakers yes, did? Yes. No, no kidding. Um, yeah. And, uh, contemporaries of her, the Talking Heads. Sure. Chrissy Hine, who was friends with her before, before Joan was well known. Chrissy adopted, huh? It's so weird, that time of music, right, Kenny? Like, there was so much different types of music going on. That was really sort of like all variations. Because, like, if you look at the Heartbreakers and Van Halen and then the Runaways, they're, they're all different type of bands. It's all rock music. Exactly. But it all worked together. Of course. Yeah. yeah. But but it was also, like, I, I felt Tom Petty and the Runaways and obviously the Ramones and Talking Heads was part of what they later called new wave yeah right? sure yeah but van halen to me was not part of the new wave they <laughs> no were, no <laughs> no right? i think i think the first heartbreakers album might have snuck in there yeah but they right <laughs> yeah. new wave but then they became more of a pop you know a rock yeah band. yeah yes Classic, yes, you know. yes yes all right so so now you're making it and now like you're feeling like the, the how's the band holding up under the the success and and how how, now now is when you start getting pushback for being a girl group totally, a little bit? Totally, yeah. But not from other bands necessarily? Do you feel it from other bands? Uh, some bands, yeah. yeah. Some bands, but most bands were okay. But yeah. there were definitely, you know, vibes from some bands. Like and, you, uh, like people you, making fun of us and yeah. 
laughing side stage, throwing stuff on the stage. Really? Oh, yeah. Just because you were girls? Yeah, yeah. Just because you were I guess. women? And maybe we were doing well, and they, you know... Oh yeah, worried but about their, jealousy. Their they were, yeah, they would something. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, well, you know, it's a shitty business trying to make it in a in in rock and roll or in comedy. There's always gonna be jealous assholes. Well, I was it was always weird to me well, that that people would be so nasty. I get it if you no, don't there like was a it. Gender thing. Don't listen. You know, yeah, but, but people there was a gender. Were, totally was a gender, gender thing. bias. Yeah, yeah. I, when I was in England, and they made a law that that they had to hire. An equal amount of women, or at least a b- better percentage. Yeah, because there were no women rec- in the recording industry. Yeah, uh, and um, I remember one of the execs said, "You know, studio is a stag scene. There's really yeah. no place for a woman." Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, of course, everyone. Yeah, of course. You know, right. But then, but why? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but when you were younger, I mean, they they were definitely girl groups, but they weren't looked at in the same way. They had to be dainty. Uh huh. They and had do to be cute songs. Some of the some of the um, uh, R and B groups, yeah, could do the church thing and yeah. sweat a bit, yeah, like uh, our friend Darlene Love, yeah. But even when she was in the Blossoms on Shindig, yeah, uh, they were just really not supposed to be sweating. Yeah. Oh, right, right. They were supposed to be ladylike. Ladylike. Yes. Didn't Tina Turner break that shit open? Well, yeah. There's always I mean, like wow. One of, yeah. You can't sweat. I mean, come on, man. But you know what? <laughs> Tina did not become big until much later. I mean, really big, big. She right. was as a she, solo act. She uh, she was uh, Phil Spector's great failure with River Deep Mountain High. That that didn't achieve what he thought it would achieve. Yeah. And, and but then later on, she had that in her fifties. I think she sure. was. The Stones helped her get going. Yeah, and yeah. She had those hits, huge hits. Yeah. Did you know Spector? Yes. Did you see it coming? <laughs> Whatever happened? Uh, he was a nasty guy. Yeah. Yeah, he was not a nice fella. He wasn't warm and fuzzy. Yeah. And and he was a bully. Yeah, very threatened by yeah. everything. Threatened, and then he would have bodyguards, or he would, some of the people he worked with, like Anderson Poncia, great writers, wrote some hits with him. <laughs> they were tough guys. Yeah, so right. So he, he had a songwriters who could write hits and still beat up people, okay. because he always wanted to start fights with people. Yeah, well, he, he's, uh, you know, he ended up very badly. Bad man. Well, karma. Yeah, I, that's, him, I that's well, He sure. probably deserved to be there a long time before that. God knows what he did that he got away with. Really. Yeah, right, right. So, all right. So, what happened to the Runaways? They, they, the second out. You got, you charted on the first album, then you put out. You only did three albums and a live album, right? We did four studio albums. Yeah, uh, and a live album. Yeah. Right after one, one right after the other. You just pretty get, much every year, once a, one a year, pretty much. And you're touring bigger venues as each one happens. Like, is it getting bigger? or are You just kind of yeah, to a degree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we played different gigs with different bands, so some were bigger and some were smaller. Yeah, you know, the, you did some opening thousand act? seats, fifteen hundred yeah. kind of. Did you open for any big uh, for the big bands? Were you on that kind of uh, trajectory where you like open for like a the Zeppelin or somebody like that? You opened for the Tubes. I know that was oh, a big deal. Yeah, that was early on. That was seventy, early seventy six, maybe even seventy five. Yeah, Fee Weeble, San Francisco. Is that his name? Fee Weeble, Faye, yeah, Faye, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I don't. was it? White Punks on Dope? Was that it? Was that their big uh-huh. Yes, that's, yes. <laughs> well, did you do that up in San Francisco or were they down I here? I think it was that we did it up there. Yeah, because I yeah. think they're a Bay Area outfit. They right? are. Yeah, they yeah, are. yeah. Yeah, and actually their choreographer, uh-huh. Kenny, Kenny Ortega, who's yeah. now a big director, right? Yeah. 
uh, was worked with us to help us uh, work on some stage moves. Because yeah. I guess we felt more, it wasn't really moves. I right. guess some of it was, but more about just being comfortable in the space, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was sort of like, no, and also knowing when to, you know, move up to the audience and yeah, when yeah. to go back. You know, just having a sense of the stage. Yeah, yeah, putting on a little show. You know, a little bit of choreography, you know, the guitar is moving, but that was right in the beginning of that. You know, now it's so cliche that... Sure, yeah, yeah. And now you've got your own moves. Yeah, now you don't have to. Hopefully it just <laughs> yeah. uh, comes out. You right, know? yeah, eventually. So what? So now the popularity... In the states, didn't take off as much you know, as it did elsewhere. Is that what happened? Yeah. Well, I never really felt the Runaways achieved what they what they could have. You yeah. know. I mean, I, I guess I was always sort of uh, felt the the push from the press. Where yeah. I never felt really successful in, in the United States. Yeah. Even though, you know, we got okay coverage, so but you, a lot of it was uh, could be nasty. Yeah. They they just kind of marginalized you. Yeah, depending yeah. on what, or or just uh, just took shots, made everything we were doing seem like it was unnatural. Uh huh. When it's totally natural for there, there were people that were offended. That's uh -huh. what I would say. That offended. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very there were people offended. were offended that um, we had the audacity. They, yeah, they were going into a stag scene. <laughs> yeah, so we had like the, the audacity yeah. to dare do this. It's crazy. You know, once you get that vibe, yeah. you know, once they get, they show you right. that they think it's audacious that you're doing that. Right. Who are you to do this? Then it's like, okay, man, all shit. Okay, now now jacket gets thrown down on the ground. It's it. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. We're going all the way. Yeah, fuck you. Know? you. And this, that's, you know, pretty early on that, yeah. that you felt this. Yeah. You Did know, all I, the girls feel it? I'm sure we all did to a yeah. different degree, but right. we all handled it. I think differently, right. you know. I mean, I I remember early on somebody asking me a section uh, a question about sex. Yeah, and I thought if I answer this question, that's all the Runaways music will be about. And right. I mean, it already it, people are focused too much on the sexuality or whatever. I mean, that yeah. just comes with the nature, I guess, of being girls playing rock and roll. Right. Obviously, but if I answer this question. That's all it's going to be about. What was the question? I, I don't even remember, but yeah. I have to steer them to music. This is about music, dude. You know? Right? Yeah. You know, but you, uh, you caught you caught that oh, right yeah, away. Yeah, and it was like it was like right. that universe thing where yeah. it comes into your right. head loud. Don't answer this. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, because yeah, it would have trivialized. Totally, you. totally, and I got it on a deep, right. deep level. They were trying know? to box you in. Don't you know? Don't yeah. let them do this, and so you know that's kind of been. Well, know, the, well that's interesting because, like, it, it, did that? Well, how did like it, you were you were sort of the leader of the band, right? Nah, no, I didn't, I didn't think of it that way. I, mean, right. I thought we were all. Kim used our, to say she was the soul of the band. Uh huh. Yeah, you know, we all were. You know, in, integral pieces of of the band. I I felt. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it was like a, a team. Yeah. You know, so it was easy for me to brag about that because, yeah. you know, it wasn't about but, me. But that's Joan's humility. She, yeah. Joan was writing the songs and singing half of the leads. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say she's a leader. So, now, when you go to, like, Japan and, like, wherever you went toward Europe, now, were these, were you getting the welcome that you, like, were you all of a sudden playing for, like, you know, 5,000 people, like, you know, big, big-ass shows? Yes. 
And yes. that must have been a tremendous. It was unbelievable. And that was after what, the second album? After, uh, yeah, I guess our first tour overseas was after the second album, Uh huh. I believe. And yeah. is that when you met Chrissy Hind and that crew and those people no, over I've, in England? No, I've known Chrissy... Uh, Probably the way. before that. Oh, yeah. Before then. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Because exactly she was living in England for a while. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They were on the road, too. She might have ever said when I met her than me. But, yeah. Um, but, um, so, so that was sort of, you at least had some camaraderie there. At least you had some, you know, uh, a strong I, I woman. Felt, I felt like uh, the British, the British certainly were yeah. exposed, and the Europeans as well, were exposed to a wider variety of music yeah. in general. Right. I think. Yeah. Um, as popular music. So I think they were just in generally more accepting. They they thought it was different and yeah. weird, but... It was still rock and roll. They didn't give us that same level of uh, right. uh, shit, like you should not be here kind of thing. Well, it seems like between the press and, and, and some of the other the bands that there was re- they were really threatened here. And I think that, you know, going overseas, like, you're, you've already got that freedom. Like, you're not, you know, you're not in their scene. You're not, right. you know, you're not English. So, like, you're just a band from America that sounds good. And that must have been, like, a relief to, yeah. to, to yeah. go into that environment. Did you meet, Definitely. like, that first tour of, like, England? Is, is that where you met, like, uh, the Pistols and those people? We met all kinds of people, yeah, a lot of the Lemmy, cool bands. Lemmy, did you meet Lemmy over yes. there? Yes, in fact, Lemmy, yeah. was, uh, we did our first show in London yeah. with Motorhead. We opened for them. Yeah. And um, Lemmy let me wear his bullet belt. Yeah. I thought he was giving it to me. I'm like, oh my God, he's giving me that belt. And right after the show, he was like, give me my belt. <laughs> but, you know, Lemmy and I were close his whole life. And uh, that shows you, he's a guy... You know that's a man. He's yeah. not threatened by. He's not threatened by strong women. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And um, it didn't seem like he was threatened you, by much. W- yeah, but I mean, you know, when yeah. you're around a guy like that who's yeah. not threatened by you, it's very easy to just relax. Hang out. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know. Yeah. And not have to be on guard. Did you all feel the more time. comfortable over there in England? Well, I wouldn't say more more comfortable than being at home. Yeah. I, f- I felt musically. Yeah comfortable yeah definitely and like when we went to japan yeah oh man it was like you can only compare it to something like the beatles it was crazy and it was all girls yeah all teenage girls right so that was kind of we didn't get it it was kind of confusing and then we realized you know oh women have a tough time here too right kind of looked at as second-class citizens so we were sort of heroes i guess yeah And, and it was. I mean, they were rocking the car. I mean, it was really wow. intense. That's you know, I think it was a little scary to some of us. Oh yeah, us. yeah. Not, it, not for me. I thought I was excited. And, and Mark, to be yeah. clear, in, in, in Japan they were superstars. Yeah. In Scandinavia they were superstars. Oh yeah. It wasn't so much England. England they were in the papers, but yeah. they were like treated like cartoon characters almost. Oh really? Um, yeah. In England, but in in Sweden they were having hit singles. Right. In and, Sweden we got yeah. off a plane and totally not unexpected, all teenage girls, all these blonde teenage girls <laughs> wearing real pacifiers, real huh. like rubber pacifiers. Uh-huh. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, I guess it was some... Fa- I never found out. It must have been some <laughs> fad that yeah. teenage girls wear real pacifiers. Yeah. So, uh, somebody, I guess, was it you? You gave me a pacifier. 
a silver one, you know, a little silver pacifier that I wore for for years yeah. and years to commemorate that. Oh wow! Until my dog chewed it up. Right, but you weren't. You guys weren't together then, though, right? Yet, no, no, no not for that. For the, we, not we, for we, the, we met at the tail end of what was the Runaways. Well, the, so uh, the wreckage. Yeah, of the Runaways. So, so what happens to the Runaways ultimately? You do four records. Is it getting worse? What's starting to? What's pulling it apart? Yeah, it's getting it's getting worse. I never it's, understand this with bands. Yeah, it's get, getting worse. What I is? think um well, just the whole the whole cohesion of the band. When we went to Japan, yeah. I think that was the beginning of the end. Um something happened over there. I mean, uh there's it's discussed a little bit in the movie, but with uh, Cherry. Cherie, Cherie, Cherie did a yeah, big Cherry, a Cherie. big uh, tour yeah. booklet. Right. You know, and it was a sort of like, you know, all in her bathing bathing suit and her corset. It was very sort of soft poor yeah. pornish. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, she was tell, told us that she didn't know that we didn't know. And but look, who said we, about- we were together all the time. There's no way right. that she wouldn't say as an aside, hey, hey, Joan, I'm doing this photo shoot, or are you guys doing one? Yeah. You know, I knew, so obviously they were trying to keep it secret till there was nothing the rest of the band could do about it. And Kim I set it up? I don't know who set it up. Kim, we had another guy that was kind of a road manager guy yeah. named Scott. Yeah. He might have set it up. Right. But I don't know, and it was in conjunction with the record label. Yeah. So, you know, everybody knew but the, the, uh, the rest of us. And and this was upsetting to the rest of the band. Why? Be- because it made it seem like the Runaways was all Cherie uh-huh. and just sexualized sex. It. Right. The, the big like, no-no. The thing you would want to do a Totally, totally. And it was like, what? Yeah. What are you out of your mind? Yeah. And at this point, Cherie was like, I don't care. She yeah. was. Re- she thought she didn't need us. She was like. You guys are holding me because really, Cherie's more into um, pop, popier music. She's right. s- softer music. She's not doesn't really love rock and roll. Right, you know, it's not her thing. Yeah, um, and you know, I res- I respect that, but she, you know, had had it. I guess she was done and wanted to go Do pursue her, her own thing and thought, you know, I don't need this. So she just kind of kind of left right after japan yeah so that was after so in and that was you'd done that you did did you do a record without her or you didn't yes we did an album after, after two albums after that actually yeah and you did all the singing i did all the singing yeah most of it actually sandy sang lead on a song Lita might have sang lead on a song uh-huh. on our last album but and that with sheree is that your third name yeah you guys are friends again no yeah after the band broke up, we didn't really speak ever much. Yeah. Oh yeah, we speak now. Yeah, but, uh, I you know right afterwards it was you know very right. weird. So after you do the two records with you with you being the front person, what 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 stops the band after that? How did how did it come unhinged again, or finally disband? Well, you know, I think uh, for the for the pr- for the press and yeah. for the record label and everybody, they felt they lost the lead the blonde lead singer. Yeah. You know, and they're looking at it like that. I was just this sort of punk rock rhythm guitar player, you know. Right. I'm not going to be that person that gets people excited. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I guess. I yeah. mean, that's, uh, that's what I'm that's guessing, it. you know, the way they look at girls. Yeah. I was just, you know, too whatever right. for them. And, um, and also then within the band, musical differences started coming out because... 
Sandy, always, you know, she was a heavy drummer. She liked heavy music. Mm -hmm. uh, Zeppelin and, you know, hard rock. Yeah. And so did Lita. Yeah. And they both liked heavier music than what I liked. I was more straight up rock and roll, punk rock right. kind of stuff. And so the last album that we did we uh, was a producer named John Alcock who uh -huh. did hard music, I yeah. guess. And um, I, I, my personally, I feel he probably worked on those differences you know, oh really to make oh, so, sure. right right i don't really know but i just know that uh, a lot of the songs were harder yeah and i thought you know what i don't like the direction this is going i don't want to get fired from a band that i started yeah so why don't we just dissolve this because they wanted to go in a heavier direction and i didn't and so instead of having a big argument let's just part ways so they I just know, that so, was it so it was musical differences so now you're pretty much yeah so now you're out you're out of a gig you're out of a band did you ever meet johnny thunders no i don't think from so. uh yeah. from the new york uh dolls and from uh the heartbreakers when we did the bad reputation album which yeah. was originally joan jett we did it in the who's studio called rampart uh-huh in london yeah and johnny thunders was recording at night uh-huh and we were recording during the day. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Johnny doesn't remember. Right. I was going to say, because he died soon after that. We used to see that. him almost every night. They would be, when we when we came in the morning, they yeah. would be leaving. And there would be uh, right. the residue of white yeah. powder all over the desk. Yeah, he was a yeah, he was yeah, a They, they were pretty monster. wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, well, yeah he, he must have died soon after that. Yeah, it couldn't have been that much Maybe longer. Maybe a couple of years or something. Yeah, yeah, sad one. That was sad. No, yeah. Like a hotel room in New Orleans or something. Just, you know, someone robbed him and OD'd bad. So when you... So what? So that in the in the doc, you know, it really depicts that time where your band list is like existentially horrendous. Like you just didn't know, you know, what you were going to do. Where yeah, you were gonna I was go. totally lost. And I just was down, down. And you were yeah. here in this town. Yeah. And you got. You were getting pretty fucked up. Pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. How long did that go on for? Um, I guess I. I don't know. We met in the summer. I thought we met you in the early summer of that year, like June. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Maybe it was earlier. It was. We met. Yeah. But when you met him, were you like, you know, you know you're in trouble? <laughs> you got to get cleaned up. We well, got to figure out what we're going to do I, here. I didn't know the extent no. Of, no? of the drug use. I, didn't, I, I think she put on her best face anyway. And although she didn't look, she wasn't uh, well-groomed. Did you get strung out? No, I wasn't. I wasn't addicted to yeah. anything. I just partied too much. But she yeah. was drinking a lot. Oh, uh, the drinking and, and, it, and it, it bloated her. Yeah. And so she was like, just different than she was in the Runaways. But when I met her, I just got taken with her music. Yeah. You know, this that we wrote. She played the guitar. She sang the song, and the the first song that we worked on together was. You don't know what you got till it's gone. And that one, um, she got to the chorus and she went, Oh, baby. And I went, Whoa. <laughs> this is, this, you know, somebody who looks like Joan um, with a black leather jacket. And, you know, though I remembered, I don't think she really had the razor blades, but I always remembered like yeah. razor blades. And, and, you know, it was a scene and she came in and, uh, but, 
she also knew how to let it hang out. We met to yeah. write to do a project. Right. The Runaways had signed to do a, a movie, and I was supposed to write songs for it. Yeah. And then we broke up. And I did, but I didn't want to get sued. Right. Because the movie thing was still happening. Yeah. So. Uh, my manager at the time, Toby Mamus, thought, you know, we should write these songs. So he... What movie? Reached... I don't even know. It wound up <laughs> being called Dabidio. But oh, it yeah. was... Wound up some Mama World porno. Crazy Now was the original Was the original, title. yeah, Mama World yeah. Crazy Now. It was a weird porno, you said? Yeah, like Dabidio, well, it's yeah. called, or something. Yeah. Yeah, they... I don't know what it is. But you feel that... You've, you've, you honored that contract. I honored the contract, yeah. and... and met Kenny to write the songs. We had to write six songs in three days or something, which we did. You and Kenny? Yes. And uh, it could have just ended there. Right. But, you know, it could have not even happened. My, right, my wife was reading about Joan in the British, um, those music magazines, yeah. and Merrill said, you should meet this Joan Jett. She's going to be something. She's looks significant my wife she spotted it in the newspaper oh yeah yeah she thought yeah because otherwise i probably wouldn't have gone now i had to go all the way from england to california you were in england at the time i was in england when i got the phone call were you living there yeah i had i had a residence in new york and england at uh -huh. the same time for a while now when you were in that zone where where you were uh sort of like rudderless or or, or depressed now, I mean, you must have seen. Was there was there part of you that got scared of where you were in the sense that, like, a lot of the people you hung out with, it seemed like were dying. Yeah, I mean, like you, you know, you spend time with Sid Vicious. Yeah, and that like ended like as bad as a as a drug scene could end. It ended that way for totally. him. Totally, and you must have seen a lot of that shit. Totally, and you I, didn't want to go down like that. Did you have no, that? Did you I have was, that moment where you're like, "Fuck"? And I I knew I was kind of heading in that direction, and um, yeah, it's definitely scary because yeah. I always felt really very alone. That's when you know nobody's around, and you're drinking <laughs> nobody alone. Wants to talk to you. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, you're that person. You're drinking like, a lot and doing other things. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I definitely know. Yeah, yeah. I got I got off of that shit too. <laughs> but you know, it's uh, then I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'll maybe I'll join the military. You know, yeah, yeah. but I was serious. I thought I'm gonna, <laughs> otherwise I'll die. Yeah. I'll learn something. I'll get some discipline. I'll travel. I'll meet people. You know, better than prison. I won't die. Yeah, yeah. or prison. Right. right. Yeah, that'll get you. In so, shape. um, you know, I, I was seriously thinking about it, and then I met Kenny, and I didn't have to go go that route. But it always made me recognize that, um, and that's why I like to, when I can, do stuff for. For the troops and play for them and do do different things. Yeah, because they're just like me. They are me. It could have been me. I almost went. Yeah. So you know, just I just have that sort of recognition. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The sense. You know, everybody doesn't join to go fight and kill people. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, because you did a lot of stuff for the troops, right? I've done things. Yeah. 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 So the, I think that's interesting about the partnership that you guys created is like your your music history. Is very specific before her, that yes. you, that you know, Buddha Records was you know making a specific type of music, and we talked about that a little before with Kim Foley, who also did. I did, what would you call it, bubblegum pop, or what? What's what's the word for? Well, it? I, I I get to the, the very smallest uh, um, definition for yeah. bubblegum, which was the Buddha thing, and and 
and and the head of Buddha, Neil Bogart, named it Bubblegum. Yeah. Ohio Express, 1910 Fruit Gum Company. Other people define it like Jeff Barry said, it's Teddy Bear by Elvis. Yeah, you know? sure. I mean, right, right. Uh, it's a type of hit, though. Yeah. You're trying to make yeah, hits. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, the way of looking at it. I look at it that this Buddha thing that I was part of, that's the Bubblegum and other pop music. Yeah. But then other people think, Tommy Rowe, who did Dizzy, and uh, uh, and maybe even the Partridge Family. I right. look at them as a um, a television phenomena, sure, and like the Monkees. Yeah. but I don't look at it as bubblegum. But other people do. Well, what were some of the songs you were involved uh, in? It's pop music. Yeah, though. definitely. Uh, well, <laughs> Yummy Yummy, Chewy Chewy, One Two Three Red Lights, Moni Moni, Moni Moni. He's the big dun. <laughs> Dun, dun. Oh, that's him on the well, on the piano yeah. on organ on organ. Yeah, there's a piano there too, but you, the, what you hear is the organ. And you played with Tommy James. Oh yeah, yeah. Tommy was the Led Zeppelin of bubblegum. Yeah, <laughs> and then you guys covered Crimson and Clover. That yeah. was you did the you, you did the best job with that song. And Thank I like you. Tommy's version, but I love Thank your you. version. Thank that, you. I, I can listen to your version. It kills me. It kills me. Tommy's version doesn't kill me as much. <laughs> <laughs> you did something with that song. But so that's so that's your you and you were producing and playing, playing sometimes writing. So when you saw her and you saw and coming from where you come from, like a, a sort of a hit making ideology, because like you know if you listen, you, your first record rocks hard, but there's something about the production that made it very accessible. Now, are you conscious of that? Yes, yes, and I'm also conscious that you know because Joan being a woman, me being a guy, yeah. Um, it's backwards because the um, the poppy parts come from me, and the the deep, heavy, menacing rock and roll parts come from her. It's, you know, not a hundred percent. No, but way, it's an incredible but, yeah, balance. Yeah, yeah. What was the song that really pushed pushed you guys through? Was it was it um, Bad Reputation? Well, Bad one? Rap was one of the very first on the radio, and Do You Want to Touch Me? Yeah, that also the, the, both of them were happening on our own label at AOR Radio at once. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something that really doesn't happen today. I suppose there's another form of it happening on on, on streaming services, but uh, uh, we were able to take a record that had no label behind it and bring it to radio stations, and Which they played crazy. those two songs. But, you know, we didn't know how you to... You drove really... it around, what, in the car? Yes. We would go to... We would book clubs. Was this the, on... Is this after you couldn't get a label? Was this on yes. your label? Yes. So so her first record was an independent record. Yes. Because you couldn't sell it anywhere? Exactly. Right. Because of the same problems you always had? Because, yeah. Well, it got worse. Yeah, yeah. The Polygram, which was Mercury. Yeah. Every Girl in the Runaways, Sandy West, Lita, Cherie, those yeah. three, they all got record deals. Right. And... Um, Joan didn't get a record deal from the American company. And so... What was the reasoning? They don't you know, give it to you. It's all crazy things. I, yeah. You know, like the head of marketing for Atlantic Records once said to me, she's got to stop hiding behind that guitar and get out there and rock like Pat Benatar. What the and fuck? Then, and, and I then, mean, yeah, give and me then, a break. And there was... Um, no, no slight to Pat Benatar, but it's just, you know... But there, yeah. 
John was a punk rocker in the band. The others were not punk rockers at all. Um, Cherie, I think, you know, going back to that story, I think the song she brought in to sing was Mandy by Barry Barry Manilow. Manilow. Yeah, for the Runaways or something like that. I think it was a Manilow song. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. We don't want to take her head off. And then the other girls girls were Ronnie Dio fans, you know. That's all right. Yeah. It is sort of a a punk glam hybrid. Yes. Right? That's what we were shooting for. That's what exactly what yeah so after the first record you put out on your own you get some juice right i mean it was a big record right it was it was pretty big but it, it, it's it still not wasn't enough that people kissed our ass or and this is the thing because kenny like you said he yeah. knows a bunch of guys and people in the business he's been in the business so he figured i'll get shown a deal in a heartbeat he yeah. thought it was going to be easy yeah and then he started running into these walls, which, I mean, you saw yeah. in, in the movie, yeah. all the letters of these yeah. guys writing, saying, and it, at the top, which is the best part, it refers to all the songs they heard. I Love Rock and Roll, Crimson and Clover, Do You Want to Touch Me, Bad Reputation, and I think one other one. Yeah. All of which were hits. All, and all these letters say, you need a song search. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Not for us. Right. So either, you know, they don't listen to what they get. They've already decided, no right. matter what, we don't want her. Let's just give some lame excuse. Yeah. You know, but whatever. They heard all these hits and they're passing. So it just shows, yeah. you know, that they've, it's, I don't know. They prejudged no or, or they still like ingrained sexism to the whole thing or yeah, whatever. And he thought it was going to be easy, it. but it wasn't easy. But, and then he got pissed. Well, wait a minute. Out of and then we were a lot of bands, when they start, people don't hear it. The Beatles sure. were turned down by Mercury of all labels every week for a year in the beginning uh-huh. you know, i mean you know it's it's hard well, a lot of bands it's hard, get but, turned down, yeah. but there was that other thing going on that you totally referenced. the sexism yeah the sexism was, was pretty intense and i was i was kind of really surprised uh, it was like people were emotionally offended as i said before is that something uh, yeah like, well, i mean why am i saying that it's completely it, yeah, obvious but, but it wasn't yeah. just like an intellectual sort yeah. of no we're not interested kenny yeah it's like they had they got emotional too about it. Angry. Like, yeah, they, right. they they were in, insulted. Right. And so Kenny, yeah, knowing me and now being friends, right. he's insulted back. Going, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, what do you mean now? Yeah. Not just me being angry yeah. about life and trying to explain it to everybody and nobody gets it. Now he gets it and he's with me and he gets it from the ground level. Yeah. What I'm feeling, he's right. getting that same stuff. Yeah. Even more because they're probably saying shit they wouldn't say to me to him right yeah you know and you say fuck you i'm gonna put out the next album too well we had no choice by then we were just like treading water yeah (laughs) you know no we wanted to be on a we wanted to be on a label yeah you know but they didn't want us and thank god they didn't want us because now we own everything yeah (laughs) it works out thanks a lot dudes so so i love rock and roll you put out and that was it. That was the big one, right? Right. Yeah. But we were doing a lot of things that, you know, uh-huh. became the future. Right. We were selling the records at the gigs. No rock and roll bands were doing that. No yeah. pop bands were doing it. As a matter of fact, when we finally made a deal, we did a, a deal with um, CBS Records, Sony, and I told them I wanted to 
solo records at the gigs. They were going, that's ridiculous, you know. You know, then then it became a thing. Now we don't even have records, so <laughs> right. That's so all you were swapping the records around. Yeah, yeah. We had them in the trunk of the car. Yeah. At the end of the gig, we would open up the trunk, and I'd sit there, and I'd be collecting like three dollars a record. And I wasn't thinking about royalties. Was the first record or the second yeah. record? The first record. First record. So how much are you touring at that point? A lot. Oh yeah, a lot. A and, lot. And how many of the original bands are still with you? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. yeah just us, us two. Yeah. Yeah, the two but of the, us. But the drummer, who, who's now off the road because he, he had an illness. That yeah. Was, but he's still with us and does the records. Uh, Tommy Price. He, yeah. He, he he started with us in 84. Yeah. And 84. he actually played for a minute in 80. So he, he's he's been around a while. And so, okay, so the second record is a huge hit. Now you can tour big rooms again. And you're a rock star, right? Yeah, to a degree. Yeah. To, to a degree, still to a degree? Well, well I, you're I not going to get her to admit she's a rock star. But, but I admit it. Yeah. She's a rock star. But you're having like a, but you're having like a profound effect. It, what's interesting is like in the book, you know, um Kathleen Hanna's in there a lot from right. Bikini from Bikini Kill and that you had no real idea, you know, how many of these these the next generation of of women in rock music you were influencing no i i don't really have a and i didn't i think i just kind of keep my head down and and right plow forward and you know once in a while you look up and you you see people you know what you're what you're affecting and i had no idea that you produced that germs record i mean that's oh, like yeah that's like one of the most important la punk records ever and that was in your your downtime, right? Yes. When you were lost. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And you were just like bouncing around LA in that scene and you were I we I you were a little older than them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a couple years. And so we were hanging out with these this generation of, of kids who were doing that music and they that's one of the most important punk rock records ever. It's amazing when people tell me that, you know? It's it's just I was lucky. I've been really lucky to be in the right place at the right time what with was a your, lot of these bands. What and was just, your relationship with them? Well, the Germs, uh, Darby Crash, who's the lead singer, and Pat Smear, who's a guitar player, who's Who you now played with Foo with Fighters. The, right, right, and he was played with Nirvana as yeah, well. Nirvana right? Yeah, Nirvana as well. Wow, I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a career, too. Right, yeah. <laughs> but so they, were, they were huge Runaways fans. Uh-huh. And they, I remember them, we met, they were hanging out outside the studio in, I believe it was Santa Monica, uh, Brothers Studios, which was yeah. the Beach Boys Studios, I believe, or studio they worked at. Um, and that's where we were recording some of the, the Runaway's second album. And they were out there hanging out. And yeah. I, they said they were fans and they wanted to form a band. And, and they I did. I said, do it. You yeah. know? And so we just always... You know, stayed they get friends credit and, for the Runaways. Just the reason they became a band. Oh yeah, yeah. And and the funny thing, the bass player that we had for I Love Rock and Roll. Yeah. Gary Ryan, Gary Moss Ryan. Yeah. His girlfriend at the time was Lorna Doom, the bass player of the Germs. So yeah, it was like a little family scene going on. And when you, like, in Darby was, like, kind of out of control, but, like, beautifully oh, out of control. He was beautifully out of control, definitely. He was uh, a, a, a beautiful spirit, you yeah, know? He yeah. just was uh, a wild man. He yeah. Couldn't, couldn't, this world couldn't contain him, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very smart. He was a very smart yeah. guy. But they, what was the booze get him? What was it? Just uh, everything? He OD'd. <laughs> 
Yeah, EOD, I, I yeah. think, EOD. yeah, I'm not, I'm not yeah. specifically sure. Yeah. Exactly EOD'd what. the day John Lennon got shot. Uh, so that was not a good day for us. That's a terrible you know, uh, for, for, for rock and roll. So you, you put out like a record pretty much almost every couple of years, you know, since Bad Reputation, right? Right. And you do, you know, you've had several hits over the years, and you're still out there. You play, right, all the time? Yeah, pretty much. And like in the, in the doc, it really shows that, you know, a lot of these women that you inspired have come forward and, and, and brought you into the fold in a way. Now, I have to assume that, you know, that must be pretty emotionally gratifying and, and, and nice. It is. It's very, gr- very you didn't gratifying. Know it. No, I was not really aware of, of that. You know, yeah. I, didn't aware, I wasn't aware of how much it was actually reaching women. Yeah. Girls. Yeah. Yeah, and now they come up to you, and they and like there must be hundreds of them. It, it, there are, and <laughs> it's 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 really really special, and um, you know it's motivating. It yeah. keeps me motivated. Yeah, and tell me about this event because I talked to a friend of mine who's from Seattle about the uh, the gits and that in <laughs> that situation because I didn't know about it when uh what mia zapata uh-huh. was was murdered raped and murdered up there and you heard about that what year is that that's 80 uh, uh, no it was in the 90s oh it was in the 90s 90 like 90 oh i don't want to say the wrong year it was the early 90s uh-huh yeah and how'd you hear about it what happened because i was doing a lot of work out west up in uh-huh. seattle i was writing um black car records of- had a band in seattle right around the grunge explosion called Metal Church. Uh-huh. They were originally an indie band, so they were the first one, and they charted. Yeah. So we were there. Yeah. And then... And did you on. know Mia? No, I did not oh. know Mia yeah. or the Gets. Yeah. But, you know, I knew a lot of the people, the same scene. Yeah, you know, we were sure. all in the same scene. Yeah. And, you know, so when I heard about it, I just thought, oh, man... I, it so easily could be any of us, you right. know. But you could, how many times have I walked home, right. you know, late at night, yeah. maybe you know, a little drunk, yeah. you know, just yeah. alone, and that's right. the situation she was in, you know. And you figure you can handle yourself, but she she yeah. couldn't, and yeah. uh, I don't know. We, the, so everybody wanted to try to do something to raise money to do help help the cops because the cops could do a limited amount, I suppose, and or people felt they weren't doing enough to hire a private investigator. So initially, we did a, a benefit concert uh, in Seattle. Initially, it started out as just this one night. Yeah. And, uh, and we thought, wow, you know, that was really, really weirdly cool. Yeah. You know? Um, in a sad way, but yeah. yeah but, but it was it, but honoring, it honoring thought, her. Yeah. So yeah. we thought, you know, why don't we do a little tour and use that money to, yeah. you know, keep the, the private eye going. And they so got we him, did huh? that. Yeah, we did that. And uh, they did, you know, like 10 years afterwards. No I kidding. It was, that long. It was 2003, somewhere around there. I get a phone call. No hello. No nothing. It was Steve Moriarty, the drummer from the Gits. He just said, we got him. Wow. And it was, uh, they got him down, down in the Keys someplace, down in Key West. Wow. Or something. That's, that hardly yeah. ever happens. Yeah. Some other thing. It had done something else, and they ran the DNA. Interesting. That whole scene was so like um, unique, really, that yeah. how many bands came out of there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, really. Tons. 
and like you were up there for that so you like you saw it sort of starting i mean because that was like it was like way post-punk and it was a new approach to you know raw rock and roll yeah it must have been fucking exciting it was it was so, I didn't see a lot of live shows while I was there, though. No? You don't seem to see a lot of live shows, do you? No, I'm always working. <laughs> yeah. I saw a lot more shows no, when but I was we did. younger. Mm -hmm. there was... You know, when I was sitting around, I lived across from the Whiskey in L.A. That's where I just saw Slash. Oh, yeah? It's a great yeah. room. It was the first time I've ever been there. Yeah, I lived beyond the gas station. It's oh. The apartment building is still there. Every oh, yeah. Every time I drive by, and I lived there, I lived there. <laughs> you get a but little... it was a perfect party place, and uh -huh. you know, you're in the middle of everything, and I saw... So many shows then, but, but that's like you know, I know it's a magic room. That room, yeah, it's very nice. Have you played nice there lately? No, not lately. Yeah, no, not in a long time. Oh, it's still really good. I, I mean, I, I assume I, I just didn't have it. Like I don't go out to a lot of live shows, so it's a lot I, smaller th than I remember. Right, you know, when you're tiny. a kid, it seemed big. Yeah, yeah. But now, you know, you go in there, it's like wow. So, what do you guys do now? Like, you know, you're producing a lot of bands. You, you L7's back. Yeah, L7's back, and I think they're a good fit for for our label. We have a band called Faya, which grew out of a band called Girl in a Coma. And Faya, incredible. They're yeah. a punk, punk band from Austin, San Antonio, uh -huh. Texas. Um, we have the soundtrack from this re from this movie. Yeah. Which is, it, we, we have a great, it's in the movie, but we have... Miley, Lord Jane Grace, oh, we and have Joan. So many people doing androgynous. Oh, that's great! It's, the Paul Westerberg song. Before. Yeah, the Paul yeah. Westerberg song. Yeah, it's great. We have Joan singing "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Yeah, from the um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, when when, the, when, uh, when Nirvana got inducted. That was yeah. something. That you were great. Uh, yeah. It was so great. It was so fun and so scary at the same yeah. time. Why well, think about it. It's like you're going to play Smells Like Teen yeah. Spirit, yeah. Nirvana, yeah. at the Rock and Roll Hall With of Fame. With Nirvana, yeah. With Nirvana. No, it's like Petri petrifying. Yeah. But I'm, you have to do it. Of course. I mean, I was compelled. Who asked you? Dave, I yeah. think Dave did. Yeah, yeah. and then Could've, yeah. he said, "You're going to go first. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, okay. how long did it take you to get that. comfortable? A second? Um, I actually was very strangely not nervous. I'm usually very nervous, uh -huh. like too nervous for, you know what I mean? Like yeah, overly nervous. Sure. You got to work on getting your head out of that. Yeah. But. I was pretty calm, actually. And Pat I, was up there too, right? Pat was up there. So that there. must have been comforting. Yeah, and we were all, you know, we all know, we do know each other. We yeah. played together before, uh -huh. so I hadn't played with Chris, but yeah, I think we had a sound check, so we had a chance to run it. So yeah, outside of the doc that's coming out, what are you guys? What are you guys doing? Are you just touring all the time, or because I know you do, you do a lot of festivals now, and you seem to be involved with some good causes. What do you What do you spend your time doing mostly? Touring, yeah, really, yeah. We're on the road all the time. We're going to um, Australia for in January. Then I don't know what's happening. I know you've been there before. Yes, not for a while. Though. You like it? What are you doing? Sydney, I, Melbourne, the whole oh, country, Brisbane, a lot. We're doing a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just it's a sold out tour. Thank God, because it's a long way to go to be empty. Well, they're very happy uh, you come. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're excited you come. Uh, make the trip. That's nice. And we will do some. A little bit of pol politicking. Yeah? Yeah. Where? Here? 
in the United States. Yeah. yeah. Rock the vote kind of stuff? No, we don't have to work that. Well, we should actually for some of those congressional California. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we're going to help Tammy Baldwin uh-huh. in uh, Wisconsin. Um Randy Bryce uh-huh. for Paul Ryan's seat. We're working for him. And then, you know, just... What does that entail? You do a, a gig? We might do a gig. We go to... Sometimes we go to people's apartments and they raise money that way. And I, that's my preference because the concerts, they always, you know, you're dealing with people that don't do concerts normally and it, you tend not to make a lot of money that way. The best way is, you know, if a celebrity can draw some people in and say maybe... They, they bring like 20, 30 big donors. Yeah. And John will stay there and, you know, and we'll... Meet and greet. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that, I like that way the best. And for Howard Dean, when we were with him, who we adore... Yeah. We actually went on a roll with him and we both gave little speeches and whatever. That's great. Yeah. During the, prim- during the primaries. Yeah. When we were on the stage when he gave when he said we're going to do it, and then, woo, yeah, yeah. it was much less crazy than the news made it no, out it wasn't to be. Crazy. It was totally it was normal. Yeah. He had a he had three thousand college kids who were up. really yeah. freaked out. They were all People crying, man, because yeah. he lost, and, yeah. they, and he was trying to help. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was a democratic establishment. Yeah. You know. Wiping out the guy. The way would. ABC sent the feed in, you couldn't hear the crowd. The crowd was going, Dean, 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 Dean. So he had to and, yell, and, yeah. And everybody was there that Candy Crowley, was that her name? And there was all yeah. these famous people were on the plane with us. Yeah. And nobody noticed, and John always says this story, no, nobody noticed anything weird at all until the next day when we saw what they did with it on the TV. Right. Yeah, it wasn't like the press was on the plane going, Oh my God! Look what Dean did. Yeah, of course not. It was they were working because Dean was winning. They yeah. had to figure out how can we make him look bad with what he did last night overnight. Yeah. So whatever they see at six a.m. Right. He looks like a nut. Yeah. Why did they do that to him? Because he was the outsider, and they were he was taking on the establishment. Right. He That's said, "I'm right. the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party." Right. Right. Yeah. Wow. So you know. So in your so now Joan, are you able to stop working long enough to appreciate what you've accomplished? I mean, do you have fun? <laughs> I don't really have too much downtime. Yeah. And when I do have downtime, I don't want to go anywhere. Right. Because I'm always traveling, which yeah. is kind of a drag. Yeah. So I do, you know, I do. There's a lot of places that I'd like to see, or it's things I'd like to do. You yeah. Know? Something as similar as just driving Highway One. Oh yeah, it's great. You know, you never done it. That. No, <laughs> no. But my my bus driver just did it. Yeah. To meet us someplace, yeah. and he took all these amazing pictures, and I'm like, damn. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Everybody gets to do all this stuff. But you never stop. No, I haven't. And when I do, it's not for for too long. And I've got animals at home, and so I just want to be with them. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? So, and which is kind of you go, oh man, what a she, what a sad life. She does things though. <laughs> no, I don't think so. When her mom was alive, she and her mom cleaned the cages at at the uh, animal shelter, yeah. and she's she'll go out. I just like people to know because she's so good. She'll go out in a freezing cold. One o'clock in the morning, give food to to the, the uh, stray animals. Sure, yeah. My mom is feeding iguanas in South Florida right now. Really? really? There That's you go. great. 
it, it, some I talked about it on the air, and some woman wrote me. She's like, "That's part of the problem. You're not supposed to feed him because there's a, it, there's millions, it's thousands right, of them. Right. But my mother can't not feed. Well, what the are you animals. gonna, you know, what you are you gonna, gonna do? Yeah. They're there. Yeah. And Go it's feed like, the you lizards. Know, hey, you know, the animals are. Yeah, we're in their spot, people. Yeah. You know, yeah, what I mean, exactly, calm yeah. down and learn to live together. I mean, first of all, you don't even want to get me talking about animals. Yeah, and because you're a vegetarian too, right? Yeah, basically vegan. Yeah. yeah. So and you did you have a talk- moment with a hamburger? What did it? I mean, I used to be vet, like a bloody meaty. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. It was just a slow dawning of uh, what right. am I doing? Yeah. You know, I love yeah. animals, and and I'm eating this thing thinks and feels and all that stuff and when you get into it and you recognize the more science Uh proves the sentience of animals that we really you know say you know that's nothing i mean you know paper wasps can recognize each other by their faces that's a wasp yeah a wasp a bug yeah okay so i'm not like the, I'm not to assume that I'm better or know anything. Yeah. You know that I'm above that. Right. Because I don't understand their language or what they do. Sure. Or, so I don't know. I find it very hard to eat an animal. To me, it's like, why don't you just throw your, you know, your grandmother up there? Yeah. Or why don't we try some babies? You yeah. know, because baby meat yeah. got to be nice tender. and tender, just yeah. like the lambs and yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's like same thing. It is. Yeah. Sorry, but <laughs> do do you find that at this point are you at peace with your past for the most part? I mean, do you like? I mean, you have a relationship with Cherie. Do you? I mean, with the other ones, do you? The people that you played with and that kind of stuff. Do you? I don't have any uh, any kind of that. I I have no bad relationships with yeah. anybody or yeah. bad thoughts about anything. We all did something really special and I think important together and I would hope um, whether they enjoyed it or not that they recognize that as well and I hold no sort of animosity towards anyone and yeah uh, Sheree and I are friendly yeah Um, last time I spoke to Lita we were friendly yeah but that hasn't been for years. Yeah. And Jackie. You know, I haven't spoken to her for years either. But. What was your reaction to that, her posthumous accusation of, you know, Kim? Uh, oh, she made that apparently before he was dead, too. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, you never saw it? No, I mean, look, that was not my experience. Right. You yeah, know? yeah. And yeah. Uh, I did not have that sort of thing, so yeah. I can't really speak right. to it. Right. But, uh, all right. Well, that's like, I, I, I was honored to talk to you guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's an honor to talk to you too. I think it was great. I'm glad you hung out, Kenny. What's yeah. your? What is that? Your real last name, Laguna? Yeah. What? What yeah, kind of name is that? It's uh, well, I grew up thinking it was Italian, and now I've uh, done the. Hell yeah! Did. I did that. Yeah. Apparently, it's Spanish. Oh, it's Spanish. <laughs> Didn't you say Portuguese? Well, that was what that was a theory for a few oh, years okay. in my family, but it turned out not to be. And you can you can pass as uh, Jewish too. Like I'm I'm a Jew, yeah. and like I assume record business, it must have been Kenny Goldstein. But no, it's not. No, Italian guy, Portuguese, <laughs> <laughs> Italians and Jews. After a certain age, they're interchangeable sometimes. No, I'm half Jewish anyway. Oh, you are. Yeah. So, okay. but uh, there you go. But yeah, it's it's funny though because um, 
A lot of people say, what's your real name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where are you guys going now? Are you staying in L.A. for a couple of days? Uh, one more day, and yeah. then we head up to Washington State. Yeah, to, to play? Do a couple gigs up there. Yeah, we're doing gigs with Cheap Trick, three, that's all. It's a good combo, and Joan's been playing with them since she was 15, 16 years no, old. No, I was 16, 16, 17. With uh, Cheap Trick. We are not here to tell the truth, Joan. We are here to create perceptions. All right, well, great to talk to you. Good luck Thank on the road. Thank you very much, Mark. That was exciting. Wasn't it? Uh, that, it was very. It, it, it was actually very fun. It was. You know, it's hard, sometimes it's hard for me to manage two people, but uh, characters and uh, icons, right there, folks. As I said earlier, the documentary about her life and career is called Bad Reputation. It comes out this Friday, September twenty eighth. Go to wtfpod.com to get tour dates, buy one of the new T-shirts, and sign up for WTF Premium Access to get all past WTF episodes, not just the most recent fifty. And uh, I don't know, you know, I, I got a little choked up. Not This is not emotionally, but like, you know, confidence-wise. Uh, after I talked to Slash on my guitar, and my arm's been fucking bothering me. And I hope it goes away, but like, I talk to people, you know, I talk to people. I ask people on stage about this tennis elbow tendinitis fucking thing, and they just say it never fucking goes away. And, you know, I don't want to stop exercising because I'm just, I'm in the groove with that. But I don't want to lose the ability to play guitar. And God damn it. God damn it, I'm going to play. I'm going to play anyways because I know I know you demand it, you four people who w- wait all the way through this shit at the very end to listen to me noodle in a distorted way. Not even noodle lately. It's almost meditative. <laughs>